Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well. We are glad that you are here today and just wanted to just uh, say hello. Um, we are continuing on with our series in Exodus. And the point of this series is to remind us that history is really his story. But it is also our story. And we far too often only think of ourselves in our time. But when we look at the bigger picture, we will continue to see a dignified yet broken creation in desperate need of a faithful God. A broken creation in need of a faithful God. You see, God, Exodus shows us that God always has and always will have a rescue plan. And last week, Jordan was walking us through this, um, and he was talking about the time that the Israelites confronted Pharaoh in Egypt. And they went through the plagues, and the rescue plan was unfolding, and then they were having to go out into the land. And so he challenged them to take a bold step of faith. And Jordan's daily training last week was to challenge you to take a bold step of faith. Did you do that? What did that look like? And maybe you did. So then the question is, if I took a bold step of faith, what happens next? What happens when I trust God with that in the future? This is where we're picking up the story in Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 8. The words will be on the screen as I read them. When the king of Egypt was told about how the people had fled, the people had fled, no, remember Jordan said they didn't flee, they were, they were actually told to leave. And they gave them silver to leave. Isn't it funny how quickly the narrative changes, right? Fake news. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him. He took 600 of his best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out defiantly. The Israelites weren't going out defiantly, though. That was the narrative that Pharaoh believed. They were going out because he told them to leave, because they had had the plagues, and it was bad. And so it's amazing how quick the world will flippantly change its view. Can we recognize that? But as a Christian, when we take a bold step of faith, I want you to understand that it may cost you something. In fact, a bold step of faith will likely lead us to a point of no return. What do we mean by that? Well, you can't go back to the way things were. The Israelites at this point were slaves. They were in bondage and they were gone. And now all of a sudden, 600 armed chariots are coming to pursue them. If you took a bold step of faith at work last night, last week, and you said, hey, everybody, I'm a Christian, you may not be able to go back to the anonymity that you once had. Maybe your bold step of faith last week didn't actually cost you something. Can I make a little suggestion here? It's likely if your bold step of faith didn't have any ramifications, it wasn't as bold as you thought. And when God asks us to take a bold step of faith, it should push us outside our comfort zone. But ultimately, what we're doing is we're trusting that God will take care of us. And so as we do that, we have to sit there and ask ourselves, okay, what does this look like for us to take a bold step of faith? Israel could no longer just go back to the way things were. Even if they returned at that point, it would have been a different dynamic. We understand that, right? 
So when I think of taking a bold step of faith and a point of no return, the Texan in me, y'all know I'm from Texas, right? Reminds myself of the Alamo. Now, I don't know if you know much about the Alamo. I will say this. If you ever go to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, it is the most unimpressive historical site you will ever see. It is a tiny, tiny building with holes in it from gunshots. And, and it's kind of neat if, you like, if you're a history buff, but if you think the whole family's going to like it, they're not. <laughs> but one of the things I remember growing up in Texas, and you hear all the times, of, there's the story of the lore of the Alamo is when they were about to be invaded by a massive uh, Mexican army, uh, the leader drew a line in the sand and said, you can still sneak out, but if you cross this line, you're staying here. And they all crossed the line, and one guy even had himself carried across on a stretcher, you know, like, I'm willing to die! Woo! And I think a lot of times we think, oh, this is what it means to be godly to live and and to do what this and can i just kind of tell you real quick that's not the way it necessarily needs to go there's kind of two viewpoints of that right and we're going to come back to that in a second but i, I want you just to, to wrap your mind around the idea of feeling like you have to die if you take a bold step of faith is not actually that biblical but even if you had to die for your faith it actually is a good thing because it allows you to spend eternity with God in heaven. So not even death do we fear. How do we view it? Do we recognize that God is with us? Do we need to change the way that we view the trauma of this world? Exodus 14 verses 10 through 12 as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. This is like their worst-case fear, right? I took a bold step of faith, and, and now this is happening. You wanted me to do this, God, and now I don't understand what's going on. I, I, I could lose my job. I, I could lose my friendships. I could, God, why? Right? The Israelites were terrified. No, they weren't leaning into the faith of God at that moment. They were going, oh, isn't it? God's good. He's always been faithful. He's going to be. No, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to the die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Hard stop. Let that sink in. It would have been better for us to stay in bondage, in slavery, than to go out and risk our future. Why? Because we can't see how you are going to deliver us. The uncertainty of what I'm going through feels more problematic than to lean into the bondage that was in capturing and enslaving me. Do we ever do that? Yes. 
And I'm wondering today if some of us don't need to, to take a bold step, not only in our faith, but a bold step in our personal faith journey in giving God what is holding us captive and turning over the shackles that have held us in bondage for far too long so that we might be freed to walk in the presence of God. See, here's the problem. There's a false narrative in the world. And the false narrative has two extremes. Say, Daniel, you're always talking about the two extremes. That's right. Because the two extremes are usually always there. And the one extreme says this. Man, if you love Jesus, whew, life's going to be great. Have all the cake and the ice cream you want, and there's no calories in it. Right? I mean, you write a check to the church, and it's coming back tenfold tomorrow. And they really believe, like, if that doesn't happen, like, if all of a sudden I ate the cake and it suddenly, I don't know, I'm hungry, y'all. And the, the, I don't, God's not faithful. I gained some weight. Well, don't eat the cake, right? I don't, that was not the best illustration I've ever given at the time. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, right? It's like, if I follow God, then every, I won't have any problems. That's not true. But, the other side of it is just as dangerous. And it's really, really growing in our country. It's really, really gaining popularity, which says this. If you follow Jesus, your life is going to be miserable. It's going to be Eeyore. Oh, no. Here we go again. And you're going to lose everything that you ever wanted. I mean, your spouse is going to leave you. Praise God. And there's almost like a, the, the more miserable I am, the more that God is with me. And you're sitting here going, this. That wasn't supposed to be a joke, by the way, but apparently it was funny. Um, the more that we do it, the more miserable we are, the more that God is somehow blessing us. Church, can you see that's not what we're called to be? Living a life of misery does not mean you're holy. In fact, it means you're missing out on his holiness. Now hear me. There are times to take stands. We're going to come back to that. But the stands we take are to lead us into the presence of God. And the presence of God gives us peace. If the stands you take lead into more animosity and bitterness, then they are not of God. Let that sink in. If you think you're standing for Christ and it doesn't lead your heart and your mind being drawn closer to God, your heart being softened, your, your nature being more peaceful, loving, kindful, then the stands you are taking are not of God. Maybe we need to realize we were never meant to fight the battle. I, I've covered this every week, but can I just refresh you? We aren't Moses in this story. We're the Israelites going, what's going on? Why are the enemy coming? I don't know where I'm going. My hair is on fire. No, it's just red. Um, but this idea, right, of like always panicking and always upset and always mad and always, what we are Israel. And the story of Moses and the story of David and the story of Ruth and all of those great stories are to remind us of the need and the foreshadowing of the Savior whose name is Jesus who would come to rescue us from our depravity, our sin, ourselves. 
he's still in the rescue business. And yes, he wants to save you from hell for eternity. And if you have a relationship with Jesus and believe that he died on the cross, you believe he is the only way, the truth, and the life, then you too can be saved. But the salvation also begins here and now, even though there's still depravity all around us. And the life that says, I'm saved, but I'm supposed to be miserable, is not reflecting the glory of God. In fact, it says you're still in bondage to something. So church, can we allow God to set us free? How do we do that? Well, the Israelites were running and they, they looked back and they go, oh no. And they looked forward and they go, oh no, there's a big water there. How do we, we can't get past that. And the, 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 the chariots are coming and we see the cloud of dust and we're about to die. Instead of looking back or look forward, here's what I would encourage you to look up and lean in. Spoiler, this may be a daily training later. Look up and lean in. We know this, but we don't practically apply this. Why? Because life and the way that our bodies even works. And sometimes the systems and the bondage is beyond our control. So can I just encourage us? I'm reading a book right now by Andy Kobler. And it's dealing with, it's called um, Trisopter. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But it talks about how we have to understand what it looks like to really deal with what is enslaving us as followers of Jesus. And I want to look at it this morning from the perspective of a timeline. Sometimes when we look back, it means we're looking back into the history of our life. And there's been some trauma there. Sometimes it's big trauma. Sometimes it's small trauma. And maybe there's been dysfunctional relationships that's bruised you from humanity. Maybe there's even been some abuse. And I don't like to bring up that word because I know that word is a trigger and that's exactly why I need to bring it up today. Because God doesn't want you to suppress that and learn to just live with it. He wants to provide healing and restoration. And the church hasn't always handled it well. I'm not talking Calvary, I'm talking to... And I want to say I'm sorry. But you aren't defined by those moments in your life. And maybe what you've been through hasn't been abuse, but you've definitely developed a dysfunction of trust from relationships that have gone soured. And maybe the church itself didn't always treat you well. You came to find out about Christ and they gave you a bunch of rules. You came hoping for healing and they wounded you more. And I want to say I'm sorry. Maybe you, you've been taught that you can't rely on people because when you were seven years old, your dad said, be right back, and you're still waiting. And you're wondering if you could trust anybody in this world if the father that bought, brought you into this world doesn't even call and hasn't talked to you in 30 years. And it's shaping you and guiding you and guarding you. And the dysfunction of trust it can cause shackles, heartbroken trauma. Maybe it was even the, a fire in your house 
that burned your house down and, and caused a loved pet to die and, and everybody else has moved on. But that trauma, every time you hear a click or something, right, it makes you sit there and go, what's going on? And, and there's things in our past, there's things in all of our past that if we look back will hinder us. And hear me, God can take the narrative of the shackles of our past and set us free and use it for his glory. But handling those things requires us to be honest with what they are. There's not only the tra trauma of the past, but there's the shackles of our current situations. Maybe they were caused by you, maybe they aren't. Maybe they're addictions. And I'm talking addictions, yes, alcohol and drugs, absolutely. But the addictions of living in a life of dysfunctional, full of fear or anger. There's a systematic pattern that sits there and goes, I've, I've been taught this in my past, and I look past, and, and I don't know how to cope with it. So I'm going to cope with it to escape this world. I'm going to find other things to lean into and to trust in. And so you, you feed the addictions. Instead of realizing they're not healthy. You want another perfect example? Maybe you're the person who sits there and goes, I know I don't need to look at this news source. Because when I look at this news source, it's going to make me anxious. But you can't seem to help yourself, so you open up and read that news source because you feel like not knowing is worse than knowing the bad that's coming. You follow me? And so we feed this. We, we try to stay in control, and, and we try to find a pattern that will allow us and enable us to escape the bondage that we've been in rather than learning to release it and to lean into God and to look up to His promises, His truth. We try to cope, and maybe we need to understand deeply today that you and I were never meant to be the rescuer. That you and I were never meant to be the healer. Jesus is. And what happens is we, we get told these patterns, we live in the dysfunction, and we don't even realize how it overtakes us until we look to the future. And the future doesn't seem full of, full of hope and faith and peace. Instead, it feels heavy. Like a giant gorilla that's on your back. You want to have faith and go, God, I know this would be... But you literally don't know how to get the ginormous gorilla off your shoulders. At times, we can't fathom what a life looks like in faith looks like because the shackles of our oppression seem unbreakable. And the reality is they are by you. So let's break this down a little bit more. What's going on when that happens? When there are systematic times in your life when your body will overtake through the nervous system and the other ways that God has set up, right? So when you are experiencing an event that you can't handle, your natural reaction will be one of two extremes, fight or flight. There you go with the extremes again, right? The flighters, you're my people. You're the ostrich. If I bury my head in the sand, if I immerse myself in enough football games on Saturday, if I go shopping enough, then I can escape all the problems. Testify, anybody? Okay, good. One of you, thank you. 
one honest person in this room. The other side of you are the fighters. Woohoo! We'll pray for you. Um, the fighters, right? Are, are like, if I could just somehow manage control. And so you live your life trying to take control and trying to make sure that everything in your life falls into place as you want it because you want to rescue the dysfunction that you're in. How's that working? And what happens is when you ignore the problems, they tend to grow. Like, I need to mow the grass. Oh, it's, it's, it's longer today than it was yesterday. Well, I'm going to wait till tomorrow and see if it stops growing. Winter's got to come eventually, right? Oh, it's, it's still longer tomorrow, and now I have an HOA notice. I didn't even know the HOA could do that. Oh, now I don't have the equipment. Now I got to go pay someone to do it. Oh, I don't have the money to pay someone to do it. You see? And that's just the grass. Or the fighters, right? I'm going to fight the HOA. They have no right to tell me what to do. Good luck with that, right? Have fun talking to Karen. By the way, if your name's Karen, I want to apologize on behalf of the country for you. <laughs> Karen is a lovely name, and you were made in the image of God. But the part of that, as you, some of you are like, no clue. And I love you people who have no clue what I'm talking about. Go talk to our student minister. He'll catch you up, okay? Um, there's this thing called TikTok. Never mind. There it is. Um, this, so what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand what all this looks like. And so that you have this natural reaction. And what that's actually happening when you have fight or flight, it's your nervous system kicking in saying, deal with the trauma. I can't handle it. And rather than trying to give it to God, we try to handle it on our own. And when we can't handle it, it builds and builds and builds. So back to the book I'm reading by Andy Kubler. She says, and I don't know how to say her last name. I apologize on behalf of her if I don't, didn't say her name right. But the book called Try Softer says that there's two components to us that we need to understand in the church today. First, try. You can't try. I mean, you can't not try, right? Like, <laughs> God's going to take care of me, so I'm just going to stay in bed, and my bank account's going to grow. Woohoo! No, you actually have to go to work. You got to try. We get that. But if you want your faith to grow, you actually have to try to grow your faith. You can't just magically hope it happens, right? I know I've tried that with weightlifting for years. It doesn't just happen. One of these days, I'm actually going to start lifting weights, and you all are going to be shocked. Not really. I'm, probably, I'm never going to do that. Okay, but if you actually want to grow in your faith, you have to try. But here's the problem that we do a lot. Instead of trying in a way that's holy, we try harder. Why is this not working out well? Oh, if only I found a better plan. So we lose sleep thinking about, oh, I, I've got to send this email tomorrow. Oh, I've got to, I've got to figure this out. I've got to, I've got to try. And, and then we find ourselves not in the place where we're pleasing God. And so we, we become more anxious. And so it's like we, we try harder to please God over and over again as if our efforts are what make God love us. That's not true. 
child, God loves you right where you are. No matter what you've been in, no matter what you've done, no matter the dysfunction that you've come from, that you're in now, or the problems you have, he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants to release you from that bondage. But the release of that bondage isn't so that you get to be in control of your life. It's so that you can find the peace and the hope and the joy by resting in the presence of him. The promised land is his presence. Not, no, not having a boss so you can do what you want. The promised land is his presence. So trying softer is, well, the best way I know to describe it is, anybody ever been to a break room? Now, I said this last service and I had three people think, oh, like in Zoom? No, I'm not talking Zoom. Pandemic problems. I'm talking the place where you go and they have all these like rooms that you have to try to get out. Why would you do this? But we thought it would be fun as a few years ago to do that as a staff. And by the way, most of the staff that's here now was not there and we were horrible at it. So if you want to make fun of anybody, make fun of myself or our lovely Amy Anthony who is typing even on this live stream. And so as we were in this room, here's what happened, right? We go in this room and you're supposed to escape and they give you all these clues in like an hour. You're supposed to escape. About 10 minutes in, we hear a voice over the intercom. Uh, you guys aren't doing too good. I'm going to give you a hint. <laughs> I don't want your hint, right? <laughs> no. Okay, so we get a hint because, like, they don't want you to be discouraged. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we work, and we work, and we work, and we work hard at this, and we, we try our best. And, and then 57 minutes in, we crack open that door. And I'm feeling so accomplished. Only to walk into the second room. <laughs> there were two rooms? No one told me this. Oh, we didn't get out. The lady was so kind. I'm going to open the door for you now. Uh, you, you, did, you, didn't, uh, you did better than a few. You know, like, that's, that was kind of, a, and we bonded, and we learned that we actually had to, you know, there's all kind of lessons. But here's the thing, right? If you want, spoiler for some of you who ever want to act like really, but don't lie about it, but if you ever want to act super cool, you can actually go to YouTube and Google how to get out of any break room, which Google and YouTube are different. I understand that. But you can either Google it or you can go to YouTube and find out so that when you go to the break room, suspense is lifted. You can just coast through it. Now, you might want to experience the break room yourself. But if you want to figure out actually how to get out when you can't get out on your own, you might have to do a little work. It's not a cheat code for our faith to Google versus on overcoming anger. It's not a cheat code for us in our faith to admit, I can't fix my marriage. I need a counselor. It's not a cheat code for us to go, this addiction I can't seem to overcome. Maybe I should go to Tuesday nights at Calvary where we have a group called Celebrate Recovery that will help you overcome not only addictions to like alcohol, drugs, but anger, worry, stress, recover from divorce. It's not a cheat code. It's using the gifts and the tools that God has given us. And maybe, just maybe, we as a church need to try softer instead of trying to figure out how to do it all on our own. 
We need to look up and lean into God and each other. Exodus 14, 13 through 14. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians see you today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you must be quiet. The Lord will fight for you and you pick up a sword. Nope. The Lord will fight for you and you, you make sure you let everybody know that you're a Christian. Nope. You be quiet and let the Lord do his work. Is it possible that the way you actually get out of the patterns of the shackles of your sin is to stop trying to do it yourselves and learn to give it to God? I want to go back and reiterate. Sometimes people have tried to do this in a church and the church has wounded you and you came to a hospital looking for healing. That's symbolic of the church in this metaphor. <laughs> and you ended up catching somebody else's disease. You know what I'm saying? And that unfortunately does occasionally happen in hospitals. But the point is, we are trying to be a healing place. And if we fail you, I want you to know that's not intentional. But God will never fail you. And the church needs community. And I want to speak real quickly to our online presence. Hear me, if you're checking this later in the week, that's great. If you're out of town, if you have a sick kid, please understand that. But you need to be involved in a local church, not just online community in order to really grow. Because the church needs each other. So what does it look like going forward to try softer? To, live, to look up and lean in. Well, it's to realize the Lord will go before us. He has many times before. It's to remind us, as Exodus does, the foreshadowing, the coming of our ultimate rescuer is Jesus. He is coming again. And that we have nothing to fear if we lean in to God. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 19 then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved in and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved in front of them and stood behind them. So the pillar of cloud that was leaning them, that was showing them which way to go, went behind them to act as a buffer between them and their enemies. How cool is that? And it came between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. And there was cloud and darkness. It lit up the night, and neither group came near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all night and turned the east and turned the sea into dry land. Why did it do all night? Have you ever been onto ground immediately after it was wet? The wind blew all night to dry out. That's a pretty powerful wind too. To dry out the land so that they could walk across. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. So this teaches us not only do we have nothing to fear, but the enemy is already defeated because the Egyptians would then go afterwards and then the wall would collapse around them. God is that good. He has a rescue plan for us and he has a rescue plan to defeat the enemies of God. But it's not for your glory. It's not for my glory. It's not so we can have unlimited cake and ice cream with no calories. Right? It's so that we can encounter the presence of God and see how good and faithful and just and kind and loving he really is. So here's what I want to ask you. What are the shackles? 
And do you believe that the same God who led the people through the Red Sea on dry land can give you a dry land miracle for yourself? Because we sometimes minimize the miracles of God, but when we see a baptism, it's a miracle. When we see a marriage saved, sometimes it's a miracle. And yes, miracles look different today. I get that. But God still is in the healing property. He's in the still healing um, pattern of life. He still heals. Will you allow it to heal? Stop picking the scab. Let the process heal. Find the resources. Look to God. Look up and lean in. That's our daily training, to look up and lean in. So how do we do that? Identify your shackles. Testify to God's holiness. Really, start trying to think, how can I lean into God? Do some research. Do some work. Don't just hope that it happens through osmosis. And then try softer. You don't have to come up with all the solutions. He already made a way. So look to the God of this universe who is still in the miracle business. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it begins there. Because he came to save you. We'd love to talk to you about it. There'll be a couple of us up front after the service. Maybe you need to find out more about Celebrate Recovery or one of the other ministries we have. You can go to yourcalvary.info and find out more information there. You can go to Discovering Calvary immediately after the service as well and find out more about our church. And I'm sure they can help you out with that as well. Church, let's be a community that stops trying to do it all on our own. Let's see some miracles happen. Marriage is saved. Let's see relationships mended. Let's see fears and addictions fall by the wayside as God continues to show us how good he is. Look up and lean into him. God, I thank you for this time. Would you be exalted and glorified in this room and in this moment? We thank you that you have not forgotten us. We thank you that you are still doing wonders. We thank you for your presence. So God, your presence is the promised land, so may we find it. May we find your peace, your hope. May the gorilla that's on so many people's backs be taken off and replaced with a warm embrace from you. Reminding us that you are here even now. Your name we pray.